Good morning. Welcome to iPalra, Real Time with iPalra, a podcast dedicated to HR topics in local government. I'm Megan Falera. And I'm Christina White. Today, we are talking about compensation discrimination. But before we get into our topic, we wanted to have our listeners save the date for our October conference. That's right. We are getting back together in person in Galena um, for our annual training conference. So stand by. We'll be sending out information about that very shortly. And next week, we are pleased to have Jerry Kerger, the executive director of NAMI DuPage, which stands for the National Alliance on mental illness, talking about mental health awareness. This past month, May, was uh, Mental Health Awareness Month, and even though we've just closed out that month, it's never too late to start talking about important topics, and Jerry will be here to, with us to do just that. So with us today is Angela Adams. Angela is a member of HR Source. She is the Director of Human Resource Services and has been with HR Source since 2000. She is an expert in many areas. And as you know, HR Source has been a longtime friend of IPALRA. And we are so grateful to have her with us today. Angela, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. It's a beautiful sunny day, early summer. So life is good right now. I can honestly say you are our first guest of the month here on, on June 1st, joining us on the show. So we are so pleased to have our first summer guest. Now, you recently wrote an article about pay discrimination in employment. Do you consider this to be a pressing issue at this time? And if so, can you tell us why? I do consider it a pressing issue, but it's something that has always been a pressing issue. I think with the events of the last year, maybe the last few years, uh, starting with the Harvey Weinstein issue Mm -hmm. and then progressing into Black Lives Matter and other kinds of things that have been going on in the world around us, people are paying more attention to it. But it's been a problem for several years in terms of male pay to female pay and minority pay to non-minority pay. And there are a lot of reasons for the pay, where the pay might be lagging in certain areas. And some people say, well, it's because women and minority individuals go for lower paying jobs in general. And that's why when you look at averages, their pay is lower. But for whatever reason, it is um, still a pressing issue and one that hopefully someday we'll be able to solve. But it's definitely come to the forefront of several people's minds due to everything that's been going on in the world the last few years. I understood and agreed. It's hard to believe that in this day and age that we're still having these discussions. Um, I was reading an article in the Tribune over the weekend about um, about the disparity in wealth distribution and the need for reparations. There was a, an article by a professor written about that, and he had actually identified the actual amount of money that would um, that he had calculated based on on his own studies on what would be a fair amount. But like you said, there's been quite a lot of discussion over the years of pay equity in employment. Can you give us an explanation of that term uh, specifically and its significance to employers? Sure. So pay equity means that you are paying individuals fairly, regardless of their race, gender, any other what we would consider protected class. 
uh, based on their experience, their tenure, their performance, really whatever you as an employer say influences pay for the job that they're doing. So it's important to understand your own compensation system and what Mm -hmm. you say you're compensating people for. Uh, So if you say you pay for performance, can that be borne out when you start looking at pay for people who have a similar or the same job? Uh, So when you're comparing jobs that are equal in responsibility and importance, are you paying people fairly? And before we focus too much on women and uh, minority individuals, it's important to note, too, that men and non-minority individuals, as well as really any other protected class, uh, can be impacted by pay equity as well. There may be situations where you might be paying men less than you should be paying them. So it's really looking at the whole, looking at the same or similarly, similarly situated jobs that you have, and making sure that you're paying people without regard to their race, their gender, any of those categories that would um, that they have a specific characteristic that might be protected by a law. So I wonder what your opinion is on how effective these um, salary compensation comparisons are. I know where I work, we just completed one and um, many of our, our colleagues in municipalities do an annual benchmarking of where they are compared to their to their colleagues in local government. How effective do you feel that is in addressing this issue? I think it can be very effective, but there has to be action taken on issues that an organization might find. Meaning if you do an analysis and look at what you're paying people in terms of pay equity, are we paying people fairly for whatever it is that we say impacts our compensation system, um, then, you know, if you're doing that and you find problems and you have to fix them. Often I find that organizations, once they start really digging in and looking at it, don't fix problems that they find, which is a problem in and of itself because the penalties against you, if you get in trouble with a government entity or in some kind of lawsuit um, can be more for you if you find problems and don't fix them. But mm-hmm. it, it's a very effective way of, of um, trying to make sure that you're paying people fairly. But it, like I said, if you have problems, then you have to commit to fixing those. And what I think is interesting when we conduct those surveys is that we generally have a range. Sometimes we include actuals, but we don't address any or attach any demographic data to who has those positions. So you might have a range, but you don't know if all the women or all the minorities working in those positions, where they are within that range. And then I suppose you need to consider their tenure and their level of experience before placing them in that range as well. But you bring up a great point about uh, the laws and the legalities of this. The Illinois Equal Pay Act of 2003 was recently amended to add new reporting requirements for Illinois businesses. Can you give us some background on the Equal Pay Act and, and that recent amendment? Yeah, sure. The Illinois Equal Pay Act applies to any employer, and that would include public sector employers, 
that have four or more employees. And what that law says is that you have to pay equal wages to men and women for doing the same or substantially similar work. Um, And that's, it can differ if the differences are based on tenure, some kind of seniority system, um, a performance-based system, um, quantity or quality of production, or other factors uh, other than gender. This is based on a federal Equal Pay Act law, which is very similar um, in its scope. Uh, Now, there were some changes that were made recently to the Equal Pay Act that are going to apply to private sector employers. So I know that most of your listeners are in the public sector, but the private sector employers are going to have to start reporting some of their pay information to the state uh, in a few years. And I'd be happy to talk more about that if you think that your listeners would be interested in that. But again, it's more uh, geared toward the private sector employers. Sure, I I appreciate that. So is there, and maybe you don't have an answer to this, is there any oversight for public employers then? Um, Who's policing this to make sure that we're complying with the Equal Pay Act? And um, especially if you're in local government. You know, off the top of my head, um, I'm not familiar with any agency that requires that you report individual pay information for employees. Um, so I, that I, um, I can't really speak to, but I think from a public sector point of view, you also need to remember that a lot of your information is available under a Freedom of Information mm-hmm. Act request. And, you know, not, and you need to be aware of that, that you might not have the state of Illinois trying to look over your shoulder, but you might have people in the community or other individuals who want to look at that information and start dissecting it. So there are, um, in in a sense, the public is kind of your watchdog. Mm-hmm. Like I said, in that a lot of this information can be obtained under the FOIA laws. So um, so it is something that I think you could potentially uh, be subject to in terms of oversight. Well, and truth be told, the threat of sanctions shouldn't be what motivates us to uh, be in compliance with a law. Um, and the worst case scenario is that you're not in compliance and that someone, the individual who is the victim of the uh, discrimination would file a complaint with the um, with the overseeing agency um, or, you know, the EEOC or something like that. So, Angela, with current federal and state government administrations, do you see signs of increased scrutiny in the areas of pay and employment discrimination? Yeah, certainly. Uh, You know, there's kind of an old adage that says when there's a Democratic administration in place, they swing back towards more regulation and Republicans tend to back away from that a little bit more. And I would say in general for the Biden administration, that is coming true. Um, you know, as far as reports or anything like that, that are going to be due on a federal level, a a few years ago in private sector 
uh, or for private sector employers, they had to report information on pay to the federal government. And then that went away um, in the Trump administration. But a lot of the individuals in the new Biden administration also worked in the Obama administration. And that's important because to know, because a lot of the uh, policies regarding reporting pay information and, and that kind of thing. And the real focus on pay equity started in the Obama administration. And now a lot of those individuals are back, essentially. So I do expect there to be a renewed focus. It's a little too soon, I think, to see exactly how that is going to play out. But on a state level, um, you know, we do have a, a Democratic governor and he is very interested in this issue. And Illinois tends to, for better or worse, follow the state of California down a rabbit hole. We're usually, you know, a year or two behind them. And California recently implemented a, um, a pay reporting scheme that any employer in California or any employer who has employees in California, I should say, uh, had to report their information to the California state government. So it is a trend that is picking up and Illinois is going to copy that for the private sector in a few years. So I do expect there to be a renewed emphasis and focus on that, yes. Well, that is very interesting. You know, I've never heard uh, anyone describe Illinois as following California. In fact, most people <laughs> feel, um, you know, Midwest is so incredibly different than um, the West Coast. But I suppose in this area that that could ring absolutely true. Are you aware of any recent court cases regarding pay discrimination? I know we we love to talk about some uh, case law when, when we're on the show here. <laughs> you know, I'm I deal more with um, government contractors and subcontractors, mm -hmm. which um, private sector or excuse me, public sector employers um, don't always have to jump through all of those hoops that they do. But there is a, uh, a group um, within the U.S. Department of Labor that monitors those government contractors and subcontractors, and they are always coming up with settlements. So you know, the, the big one last year was with uh, Goldman Sachs, which, you know, is um, a huge company. So your mm -hmm. listeners might be thinking, well, what does Goldman Sachs have to do with me? And it's a huge organization, mm -hmm. but it all starts to trickle down, right? So they aren't ignoring small employers. You know, Goldman Sachs ended up paying $9 million to settle a claim that they were paying men and women and minority and non-minority individuals unfairly uh, when compared when compared to each other. So they start with the big companies, but then it starts to, to roll down. And I think that public sector employers might even have a little bit more of a risk because the government in general, um, especially the federal government, likes to have a name that they can associate with some of these claims, meaning if you're a smaller employer, they might think, well, that's not going to get us a whole lot of publicity. But, you know, if you're Goldman Sachs or 
you know, if you're a large municipality and, and they think you're not paying people appropriately, that kind of thing, then I think you might be more at risk um, than if you were a, a really small organization that no one had heard of necessarily. So I do think that, um, you know, there's definitely cases out there and um, we can learn from those and that it always starts kind of with the bigger organizations and then tends to roll down. Uh, and like I said, especially with public sector, you're more visible than a small mm-hmm. private employer. So I do think it's something that you should worry about. Oh, absolutely. I can't even imagine, Christina, to think if we were to be even just unjustly accused of something like that, that it would just be devastating for us publicly as a, you know, in terms of all the transparency that we do and in terms of recruiting and hiring future employees. I'm not sure that that's a reputation you could shake easily. No, uh, no, especially given the public nature of everything we do. So, Angela, what advice would you offer to a public sector employer on how to avoid a pay discrimination claim or issue? I would say it's the same advice that I give a private sector employer, and that is understand your compensation system and what you say you pay for, meaning If you say that you're paying for performance, have you looked at the numbers and is that really borne out? Meaning, okay, if we say we pay for performance, then people who are good performers should theoretically be making more money, all things considered, right? Um, And sometimes when we start looking into the data and looking more specifically at that, that is not proved by the data, meaning people who have fantastic performance uh, reviews aren't necessarily being paid more than those who don't. And there could be a lot of reasons for that, but I think that it's important for you to understand why do we pay people what we do and then make sure that your compensation system Uh, bears that out when you start looking into the details. Okay. So one of the things that comes up regularly, um, I think in the public sector, but certainly could be carried over into the private sector, there's a difference between, you know, a larger community that may have multiple uh, people in similar positions and a smaller community that may have only one person in that specific Uh, position. And so then you get into, you know, when you're comparing whether or not there's, you know, equality in pay, um, how do you really determine and analyze whether um, the compensation should be comparable for these different positions uh, that may only have one, one person? So what would you advise for an employer to put in place or how would they analyze their compensation program uh, for those types of issues? That's why it's so hard to, give kind of blanket general template advice um, because every organization is different. Every job responsibility um, or every individual job responsibilities are different. And that's when it really takes um, someone internal who really knows all of the positions well to be able to look at them and say, okay, these two people have a different title And they might do different things, but really on an organizational level, what I would suggest that you look at would be 
what is their level of responsibility and autonomy and how much control do they have over the, um, you know, the direction of the park district or the direction of, um, you know, the, the municipality and are they really on the same level now? that's a hard question to answer because even if they are on that same level internally, sometimes the market pays different amounts for those jobs. So, you know, you might say, well, the controller and the HR manager really kind of have the same amount of power or responsibility, but the market uh, might say that they're paid very differently. Mm -hmm. So market can be a factor for sure. Um, but you also need to make sure from an internal equity perspective, even if the market says they're paid very differently, if internally, um, they have about the same level of responsibility, those are hard jobs to look at, but you might want to look at those jobs just to make sure that, um, you can show that the market says they're paid differently. We say that, uh, internally they're about on the same level, um, so how are we going to pay them? Are we going to look at um, what people are making uh, in these two different positions? So it's really hard for me to generalize, um, but I would say look internally at the level of responsibility and the level of um, you know power they have over the business in general, making decisions. And if they're about on the same level, those might be two positions that you want to look at to make sure that you are um, you're paying equitably. Thanks, Angela. Um, so I know that we do this, it's our biannually. How often do you think that employers should review their compensation practices? And can we really audit our own pay practices? And, you know, do we need to hire somebody? I know that you're going to want to plug your services for your members or there's anything like that, but is it possible? Can you do this yourself? Sure, you can do this yourself. And, and I would say at least um, every couple years is uh, when you should do it, if not every year, you know, every year is hard, I know. But at least every couple of years, and it sounds like that's what you guys are doing. And you can do this yourself. Um, I would recommend, though, that if you you aren't sure, um, kind of how to go about it, that you take a class on it somewhere. Um, we teach some classes, you know, we're, we're certainly not the only group that teaches those classes, but I would recommend that you try to get some education on looking at these kinds of things. So you can do it yourself. Um, but I would recommend that you try to get some education first before you jump into that. That Angela, that's super interesting. Now I know HR source, um, is available for members. Do you need to be a member of your group in order to take one of these classes or are they available a la carte? They're available a la carte. It will cost a little bit more um, to take it as a non-member. Um, but yeah, they're, they're really available to anyone, all of our classes, um, I would say for the most part. And the ones that I'm talking about specifically would be available to anyone who is interested. Um, so you could go to our website, hrsource.org and take a look at what we have. Okay. And we'll put a plug to that in the body of our podcast as well. Um, 
A while back, a new state law was passed prohibiting employers from inquiring about pay history on a job application. I'm sure our listeners recall ban the box. What questions are employers even allowed to ask about pay these days? Yeah, this was um, a big deal when it came out. I want to say it was um, yeah. just a couple of years ago. So you can no longer ask people what they're currently making, but you can ask them what their salary expectation is. So we do recommend, and we do recommend that you ask people that. So you just really need to stay away from past salary history. And I think the reason this was put into place is because so many organizations were basing their job offer, their salary offer, Um, to an individual based on what the person was making previously. Mm -hmm. And for groups that were historically um, underpaid, like women and minorities, uh, it was just compounding the problem, meaning, okay, they were underpaid at their last job. So they're going to come here and we're going to offer them, you know, five to 10% more, but they still could potentially be underpaid. So it was just kind of compounding the problem. So I think that the idea behind this law was that it doesn't matter what someone made before that, you know, the employer should be offering them um, an equitable salary for the job that they're doing now was the idea behind it. Well, and I, and I certainly agree with that. I think that that has done wonders to kind of address sort of the wage gaps and not continue to perpetuate these uh, discriminatory um, practices that have happened in the past. Now, this is kind of a controversial question. Are there any factors that employers might consider as bona fide reasons to actually pay employees differently? And how do you go about deciding which of these factors to include and which to exclude when you're making pay decisions? There certainly are factors for sure. So I think I've mentioned a few of them uh, as we've talked. So you could pay people more based on seniority, uh, on prior experience, on specific skills that they have. Uh, The one that I see repeatedly and is how most organizations um, are implementing their compensation system is paying people for performance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you were asking, well, how do we go about, or how do we decide what factors we want to include in our compensation system? And I would say that the vast majority of individuals that I work with say they pay for performance. They might also pay for experience to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Um, seniority doesn't necessarily um, factor into things unless you're just a very, um, uh, very regimented organization. So, so those are all things that you could consider. uh, And what most of what I see people considering, that doesn't mean that's inclusive of everything that you can consider, you might have something specific that you want to consider that other organizations don't. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you go about deciding that? Like I said before, uh, it really depends. It depends on what you think is important. If you think prior experience somewhere else is important, then you can consider that. So it really is a matter of sitting down and looking at what are we trying to do here in terms of our compensation system and rewarding people accordingly. 
Well, Angela, um, you have been a wealth of information. I don't know about any of our listeners, but I think I'm certainly going to sign up for one of those classes. I could absolutely benefit in having a little more information in this area. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. And if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you or they want more information on these classes or anything else you've spoken about, how can you be reached? Sure. Um, I would love to hear from your listeners if I can help them out. So they can call me at 800-448-4584 and just ask for me. Or they can email me at aadams at hrsource.org. Thanks so much. And listeners, you know, we're listening. If you have anything you want to say, send us a recorded voice message we can play or join us on a future podcast. Connect with us through the website at www.ipelra.org. And of course, on Twitter at I-P-E-L-R-A. It's hard to believe that we are already at the bottom of season two. That's right. We've gone through two seasons of Real Time with IPELRA. And we are looking at our final episode next week with uh, Jerry Kerger from DuPage uh, County NAMI. Um, you know we are dedicated to providing training and resources to HR and labor professionals in local government. So please support iPower by becoming a member. As always, I'm Megan Falera. And I'm Christina White. And this has been Real Time with iPower. Thanks so much for joining us.